Hello everyone, welcome back to the Palace Way podcast, back for episode two, looking at the Liverpool episode and some of the latest transfer rumours and a whole lot more. I'm once again joined by Bruno, who formed sort of the the posh brigade, you know, we got a lot of flack for that last time, but uh, we will be fixing that, I promise, for South London through and through, but no worries. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Sam on the podcast as well. How are you, Sam? Yeah, I'm alright, how are you? Yeah, wonderful, thank you. And how are you, Bruno? How are you doing? Yeah, doing good. Good, good. Bit of a whirlwind game as well, so I'm sure there's plenty to unpack with that. And speaking of which, I'm not going to waste any more time. Um, I think let's just jump right into it. Um, 1-1 against Liverpool. Anfield, obviously an incredibly tough place to go to. Um, I think it's pretty fair to say we're all thrilled with a point. Um, We've lost every game in our last 10, excluding uh, the recent draw with them. So, you know, it's really happy days to, to come away with something there. And I'm sure no one was really fundamentally expecting it. But I think if you dive deeper, there was so much to unpack in terms of tactics the philosophy the way we went about it um the entire game from start to finish was a bit of a drama fest and um before we really dump into it i really remember a text you sent me bruno because uh i think about 20 minutes in we were digging deep weren't we and you just said to me like can we actually be bothered with this on the pod (laughs) and uh, i think it's pretty safe to say that 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 went out the window quite quickly because i think pretty much after zaha scored it was fantastic but let's go right to the top bruno do you want to start us off by just taking through your general thoughts on the game and the, the build-up to it, how you were feeling ahead of it, um, your expectations and so on? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you always want to, you always have some uh, semblance of hope before uh, any game. But before that Liverpool game, I was sort of thinking, we're really not going to have a chance here. Because even though they struggled against Fulham the week before, you just had that feeling that... Because going to Anfield is always, always a difficult place with their atmosphere and the way the fans get behind the players. Um, and then the game started, and we were just completely blown out of the water. The first 25 minutes, I think we had zero shots. Um, zero, Obviously, zero shots on target. They had 74% possession or something. We were getting completely destroyed. And I was just thinking, this is going to be a very long day. you know. And he, they're missing all these key players. So I was really disappointed, and there was that um, whole meltdown over the lineup on on Twitter as well. And then the tactics that Vieira had set us up for sort of came into action. We resisted their long-standing pressure. They'd started to tire. And we used that with a few through balls um, from Eze to Zaha and from Zaha to Eze. And that gave us a few chances. And we took the first one, which wasn't offside. And that put us in a good position. And um, then after half time, we realized we couldn't keep doing that. They'd adjusted a little bit more to sit a bit deeper because we'd had a few chances from it. Uh, they had Nunez sent off, obviously. I think we'll cover that red card later. But yeah, I mean, despite it being a draw, I'm really satisfied with the performance and the result and how we sort of cope with their with their danger. What do you think, Sam? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. I started the game um, expecting a little bit more than we've been given recently. Uh, we've had we've had some improved performances. I felt recently, like even the three 0 last season, we didn't play badly. We've improved our team by then. We obviously got that three one loss at home last season, which it kind of felt like the entire game. We probably should have got something more out of it before they, you know, got that slightly dodgy penalty. Um, and I, I felt we kind of just owed owed a result against them. Um, but yeah, I I felt like we kind of just withstood. Everything they threw at us, I thought we had a great defensive game. I felt the the back five really worked. I felt uh, the core was getting stuck in, uh, maybe not quite to the to the all all like all running that we'd kind of hope he'd do, but 
I think he complimented sitting just in front of those uh, back three, which isn't really his role or wasn't expected of his role. He's not he's not truly a sitter, but I think he I think he was filling in that role pretty well. Um, I think Schlupp had a decent game in front of them, but I felt like that that back three, especially of uh, Wardy, uh, Mark, and uh, Anderson, really bossed that game and held them out when they really needed to. Even our wing backs weren't the best, even defensively. But those back that back three really sat together well, and anything that got past the wing backs were just easily mopped up by them. And if not, uh, Guay didn't have a bad game himself. Yeah. So yeah, I th- I felt the entire defense was pretty decent. Yeah, the goal. There's not a lot Guaita could do about, but we'll get on to that. I mean, it is interesting that you go deep into the back three there because it's fairly new territory, and yet it's something that we have experimented with briefly last season. You know, we saw brief flirtations of it in preseason too. So clearly, there's a thinking here that. You know, we, we have this as our second shape, that there's an adjustment to be made here. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being well-versed in a variety of different shapes because it just gives you more options. But, I mean, I want to go a bit deeper on Wardy because, you know, everyone knows how much we sort of have this sort of weird relationship as a fan base. You know, we love what he's given to the club. We don't know whether he's the answer at the best of times, but we still kind of trust him to do a job ultimately. So, you know, one thing I really picked out in preseason was this constant deployment of him at, at kind of right centre-back. Um, I'm kind of interested as to both your thoughts, really. I mean, I'll start with you, Sam. I mean, how did you feel Ward handled the situation, particularly at that centre-back role in such a sort of strange game to be starting in, in a sense? Well, I mean, I am as big as a Ward fan as they come, um, to the point that I, I do let my judgment get clouded a bit. <laughs> and I, I will was, argue... was that the time you got it tattooed on your on your ass cheek or something? <laughs> no, no, not quite yet. Um, one day, one day. <laughs> but potentially, we'll see. But um, no, I do, I do love Ward. I think he's a, I think he's been a great servant, and I, I do forgive him for a lot more than I probably should. And I, I do trust him to get the job done. I think he's a, I think he is a model professional. Um, I, I think that this, like, almost this transformation to a centre back's almost been coming. Um, obviously, when he started losing that that pace, that like he, he, he wasn't always, the, he was never the quickest. But when he was getting slightly slower and slowing down to the point he is now, he was, he was also bulking up at the same time. Um, I felt I've always felt like he was he may end up transitioning because he's a tall man. He's he's six foot one, six foot two, um, and he's pretty brilliant in the air. Um, so I've I've always assumed he'd make the transition. I think it's gone pretty flawlessly. Um, potentially some wasn't the best in preseason at times, but that was possibly just getting used to being in a back two. In the back three, a lot of his shortcomings were like made up for, especially in in like his passing and ball carrying both are much better with Anderson and Mark. And I think he was he really could just sit there and header away balls all evening. And I think that's what he did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I think when you've got someone like Anderson who's airily, like, not the best, but still nonetheless very progressive on the ball, I mean, it definitely gives you another option when you're in a back three. You've got those that extra man's cover for you, particularly when you're out of possession and when the opponent's transitioning towards you. So it's a really interesting take, you know, because... You know, I still get flashbacks to the De Boer era. Do you remember, like, the opening defeat to Huddersfield? That was a ward-owned goal, right? The first goal we conceded. Uh, I think so, yeah. It was basically a ward-owned goal, if not exactly. So, um, you know, from that day, pretty much, I've always thought that playing, like, Fossi Mensa and Ward at centre-back was kind of like, you know, playing two... Uh, what's a good example? Like, two goalkeepers <laughs> either side of a centre-back. It, it's not going to work, you know? it's it's It was bizarre. It didn't look right at the time, and I, I never really wanted to see it again, frankly. And yet in pre-season in a back three, it looked like it was viable. And, you know, I mean, what are your takes on this, Bruno, this whole 
um, transition to centre-back in general. I mean, Ward's, obviously, we've just discussed how he, he looked up for it and he didn't have a bad game at all. On the last pod, we discussed how good he was aerially in comparison to his peers. So where do you see Ward going forward? You know, is he really up to the mantle? And is, it, is, his, is this now his position? Well, Ward struggled a bit more in pre-season than we saw him against um, Liverpool in the Premier League. And I think that's probably because he was asked um, to be more of a ball player uh, in pre-season with the absence of Mark Gay. So we saw um, Ward have a lot of uh, misplaced passes, uh, both on the short and long range uh, in pre-season. And I think that was the source of a lot of frustration and people were a bit more uh, doubtful of whether he could really be that sort of rotation centre-back option, uh, which sort of fueled, I think, maybe our decision to bring in Chris Richards. But he played especially well um, on Monday night. And I think that was probably because we didn't have that much of the ball and he was able to um, use his skill sets as being brilliant in the air. Um, a great person for clearances. He makes a lot of those. Uh, a lot of blocks as well. And he was sort of able to make use of those defensive assets that he has. And I think in those sorts of games that we're a bit under the cosh and we need someone tall to make up for the lack of height we have and the lack of jumping we have elsewhere in the squad, he could be a really, really good option for us. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was, that's a very Wilf thing of me to say. But anyway, yeah, um, he, he had an interesting game, Chris Richard, off the bench, didn't he? I mean... I always came in assuming he was that backup centre-back. He'd slot in with Anderson and Gerhi, and then between the three of them, they'd have this sort of wide spectrum of attributes that could cover for each other, either in a back three or um, simply to be rotated around. But, you know, he came in, we saw Klein shifted into the left-back spot with Mitchell coming off and for probably a much-deserved break. And then, obviously, Richard's in at, at right wing-back, which we discussed previously on the pod. It's like, you know, is that the right fit for him? He has experience there, but that's not at all where he played in the Bundesliga with Hoffenheim. Like... It's not his natural role. So, you know, for him to come in and have what it was not just like observably a good debut, but a statistically good one as well. I think he made a, a number of key interceptions, blocks, clearances, etc. Like in every metric, he, he did something that was notable and looked very comfortable at Anfield. So, you know, again, is it a case of maybe we misjudged him? You know, is, is he the option that can fill in all along this back line? Because I kind of struggle to see where he immediately fits in in this side. You know, he's obviously got a place in the squad. He looks like he's got the ability. But um, where do you see Vieira deploying him in the long run? Well, I think he's been brought in to be a centre-back. He said himself in his um, signing interview that he is a, a young centre-back. Um, and you've also got to look at where he was played uh, against Liverpool. Technically, he was a wing-back in a back five. But at that stage in the game, we were really doing a flat, five where he was more of just a right fullback so that is a position he was quite familiar with and he was also used to i'm pretty sure he played in the three in germany uh, a few times as well and he was really influential off the bench i think he only played 10 minutes but he won three out of three aerial duels made four clearances um one interception and most uh excitingly he created one uh big chance as they're called from that header uh towards anderson which he missed which is something we've really been lacking. We haven't been winning our um, headers from corners, and that's why we've resorted to this sort of short corner uh, technique under Vieira. Uh, so with him, uh, and Anderson does have height, albeit not as much jumping, so those two could be a serious aerial presence for us um, this season when playing together. And then you throw in Ward, and then you throw in players like Mateta, and maybe our set-piece struggles could be less of an issue. So... 
if you're talking about where he could fit in, I think he would be a really good option against sides that utilize their height um, from set pieces. Sam, how about you? Uh, I mean, in a similar uh, like word to Wardy, I think Chris Richards is like exemplary in the air, and he always has been, and it's, it's been pretty proven throughout his stat, like through the stats with the years, um, that he is, albeit not the tallest of centre backs, he is unbelievably gifted in the air. Especially, he quite clearly has a very good vertical on him. Um, just a few numbers: he got four headed headed clearances in the time he was on. He won three out of three aerial duels. Uh, pretty similar to Ward himself, who got five out of six aerial duels won and uh, six headed clearances. Um, I think both of them are a lot more solid in the air than um, both Mark and Anderson. Not taking that away from Mark and Anderson, but I think it has been a, a like a weak point that we've had for a at least the last season of neither of them are particularly gifted in the air. I think that was pretty um, pretty self explanatory, especially last season. I remember the game against Tottenham. Um, Boxing Day, when Anderson got out headed by a, I can't, I'm not sure how tall he is, but Lucas Mora, yeah. Um, and I think just that option, I, I believe he will have come in to play centre back. And if it is a, only backup or in a three, I think it really does put up a lot of, um, lot of cover for those slight issues that we are facing with uh, Gehi and Anderson. Because nothing, we can't take anything away from those two. They are unbelievable work on the ball and defensively, um, and not only that, but they're rapidly improving. But gi- giving someone else that role to just really head away any ball that comes in, uh, hopefully help us improve on set pieces, both defensively and especially offensively. Because I'm, I can't remember the last time we've scored offensively off a set piece uh, that's been crossed in, um, and I, I just think that he really does make up for that slight lack. Um, I think he's he's very gifted with the ball as well. Um, he's fast, he's powerful, um, and he's he's got he's got a he's got a good pass on himself, not taking that way. I don't believe he's gonna be our right back um solution. I think if he is put there, it will have come through an injury to one of Ward or Klein. Um I believe that those two are much more likely to end up playing right back for us. Um, I think Klein is the only player that's really possible at playing right wing back. Um, despite Ward's numbers actually being slightly more progressive than his, um, I think that recovery pace does give him slightly more license to get forwards. Um, I, I do not think that Richards is the solution. I think he has been brought in for backup or transition to the back three. Um, I think it's slightly expensive to be just for backup, so clearly Vieira might have him as have like the back three slash five as our like future i like the idea for the future but we've seen that we're open to buying for the future already um and that it's not necessarily this season that we're going to be utilizing that back three um all the way throughout instead of just a a possible change um i think next season we probably do look into that right back market but or even later in this window but um i think richards can do a job there he's shown that he can but I do not think that he is our like chosen replacement there. Yeah, it's a strong it's a strong take. I mean, this right back problem is something we talked about in the last episode, and it's again a debate that's pretty much engulfed the entire Palace community for some time. Um, it kind of leads us nicely into Aaron Wan-Bissaka because the links are again resurfacing. But I think it's important we don't gloss over the game itself because there's still so many flashpoints from that. 
Um, but keeping it brief, I mean, let's start with a goal. Um, I'll break it down into three points because obviously two goals and then that famous Anderson clash that's causing a big storm at the moment. Um, so let's start with the goal. Bruno, talk us through the goal about how Eze wins the ball, dribbles through. Talk us through it from start to finish and what you made of it. Well, Liverpool um, are in a dangerous position for the hundredth time uh, that match. Uh, Decore, I think it is, gets a really good block in. And we play it. Anderson does back to Gaeta to clearance. Eze sidesteps Trent and just plays the beautiful ball um, through to Wilf. And they covered it quite nicely on Monday Night Football, talking about how Van Dijk has a lot of faith in Allison as a 1v1 goalkeeper and sort of gives Wilf that time to take the shot because um, he's expecting him to cut in. Uh, and I think that's become a trademark of Wilf's game. You know, we saw it against Montpellier in preseason. Uh, with that early shot coming in from the left. We saw it last season against Southampton as well. Uh, and it's sort of really quickly becoming one of his greatest assets going forward. So it's exciting to see how um, that new uh, talent of his can be utilised both as a striker and as a winger, and also uh, that it can be effective against both high-quality and lower-quality opposition as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, it was something that... I think really took a lot of people's breath away and how he managed to keep himself on the side to shimmy through and to score that goal, let alone the build-up play from his teammates before. So it was a fantastic bit of skill and obviously gave Palace a very sort of, frankly, undeserved lead considering how dug in we were. Um, and it really set the pace for the rest of the game, I think, where even if we weren't always on the ball, we certainly felt like we were giving a sort of gutsy, robust display um, for 90 minutes. So, you know, I was actually, funnily enough, just uh, I was out with work today and uh, one of the guys we were with pretty much asked me to mention this today. Uh, he was he's a Liverpool fan from Ax from Exeter normally as you do, and uh, was at Anfield for the first time. And he was telling me just how seethingly frustrated the fans were for this isn't the Liverpool end, mind you, for for pretty much since the twenty minute mark. So round about when we scored, you know, the whole game was basically dictated by this feeling of Liverpool not quite being able to break through, and even when they did, a sort of lack of satisfaction. So. You know, it really did, I think, um, it was a flashpoint that really defined the rest of the, what, the 80-odd, 70-odd minutes, I should say. You know, it was it was a huge amount of time that um, I really felt Palace were the driving seat, but in a way that you weren't quite expecting from a visible standpoint. Um, that leads us quite nicely onto the red card, because again, that was very much a turning point. Um, we'll go back to the Liverpool goal as well, because again, that is quite crucial. But let's, let's dive into this red card business deeper, because... You can find, I mean, it's pretty much been taken down now. You can find like minute and a half compilations of Anderson just basically being a massive shithouse to Nunez for large portions of the game, you know, being physical, getting on his nerves, um, making his presence known. And, you know, how much of an impact do you think that had on the striker first and foremost? Um, yeah, I think he was just kind of... I, I think it really was just a classic game of a centre-back that's been around a while, Um Anderson has quite a lot of experience throughout the years. He's 26 now. Um, he's played games in top leagues in the world. Italy, France, uh, that season with us and Fulham. Um, and has really had a career at top flight since 2013, uh, back in for FC20 in the Netherlands. Um, but he's he clearly knows what he's doing. Um, and he's spent pretty much the whole game just hassling and jostling um, Nunes, who is a vastly inexperienced player at the true top level. Um, this was his, what, third game for Liverpool, um, second in the league, 
and you could you could tell throughout the throughout the the, the the like the game and the videos you talk about you can slowly see his frustration building more and more and i think it was just expertly done by anderson the second he started getting that reaction he started pushing him more and it, and it feels like what players people do to wilf a lot it's when they realize a player is like hot-headed like some like some players are and not to take that away from them it can be a great thing we've seen that we've seen that with wilf himself um that he plays on the, he plays on the knife edge um i think this was just i i think that could be the same for nunez but i think it was just that gap in it, like inexperience uh from him compared to anderson of him just playing him expertly done and he just kind of goads him into reacting and once he does yeah he he falls down dramatically he waves his hand in front of his face about three times before falling over comically but it it really was just throughout the whole game just that build up and it almost once he started like almost trying to like swat at anderson and there was times that he'd push him away and he'd try and almost slap him you could tell that nunez was getting to the point of he's gonna react very soon and it was just how it it wasn't really at that point is it going to happen it it was just very much when is he going to finally react and i don't think anyone was expecting him to channel his inner zinedine zidane and headbutt anderson but um it, got, it he did and he went straight off for it and i i've seen a lot of liverpool fans trying to excuse it or saying it wasn't a true like a true headbutt or things it was it was a clear red red card and it it was a red card um, and deservedly so, but I think I think it wouldn't have ever progressed to that point without just the constant um, shit housing from Anderson, and and we've missed someone like that. Like the only person that we've really had like that it for a while is Luca when he's played and Jimmy Mack, uh, maybe Hughes as well. And yeah, Hughes is a bit maybe Hughes. Too. Um, but I I feel like that those lot aren't quite the same as this because this was very smart. Those 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 three know when to take a man down. Um, but this this was targeted. This is this is targeted um, focus throughout the entire game just to just to constantly build on someone. I, I, he clearly identified it as a weak point and just kept pushing. Um, yeah, I think it was absolutely done by Anderson. I feel like it it wasn't it was it was a mistake by Nunez. It wasn't as much a, a discredit to him as more of a credit to Anderson. Yeah, exactly. There was a, there was a maturity, in, I think, in the way that Anderson went about that. And, you know, you can argue it all day about whether it was a proper headbutt or not, but he, to me, looks like it It was almost deceptively soft looking on the camera. But I think if you actually look at it, he's going full force at that. He is shifting his weight on his head, which is, frankly, a very technical way of saying, yeah, he headbutts him. Um, but I think if you if you mess with the most handsome man in the Premier League, you're going to get smacked like that. Like, it's, it's that simple. You don't mess with Anderson, but... In all seriousness, there's no excuse for that kind of behaviour, and less so for the abuse that Anderson received afterwards as well. I mean, I'm sure it's it's another talking point in itself, but I'm sure you've seen uh, Anderson's social media. Um, he posted on Instagram, uh, I think a couple of days ago now, uh, just just basically highlighting some of the vitriol and abuse that was sent his way in his DMs, both in Danish and in English. Um, people wishing all sorts of things onto him, and of course, finally calling on the Premier League and Instagram to take more action against abuse um you know whether you you know these incidents happen so 
you know, there's there's obviously no way of getting that out of the game, but we can absolutely kick this kind of stuff off the game. So do you actually see anything coming of this? You know, can you see uh, any kind of real thing coming in from the Premier League or Instagram? Because so far it's been pretty quiet on their part. Well, we've reported it to the police. Um, you know, every individual uh, messenger of abuse has been, um, you know, suspended from Instagram. So that's been dealt with quickly. That's surprising, uh, actually. I mean, I genuinely, genuinely, I'm sat here with an eyebrow raised because previously with these sorts of incidents, we haven't seen a rebuttal or reaction like that. So I think it's a good step that that's at least happening, that, you know, you there is at least the most basic level of sanction for that. But, you know, will anything further come of it? Of, you know, will Liverpool get sanctioned? Almost certainly not, you know. Will Instagram be able to stop this stuff from happening again? Almost definitely not. You can't regulate, you know, behaviour at that level, um, at the level of what people decide to say and do, you know. But at the same time, you know, I think there's certainly a, a case here that there needs to be more disincentive from that kind of behaviour. You can't put it on Liverpool. Um, it's all about it's all about the individual, really. Um, and the kind of people who are they're saying this because they feel protected by that uh, anonymity that the internet gives you. I think um, people have suggested things like uh, using uh, official IDs to get social media accounts. There are a few like sort of issues with that in terms of like yeah obviously like privacy but i think there should be some kind of stricter consequences for actual malicious intent because having the um thought of anger towards someone is one thing but to carry out on it and to wish things of that severity towards someone and to carry out the acts of messaging them is just you know steps too far and if we're and condoning just means not punishing it, in my opinion. You know, you don't have to actively support it in order to to be on the wrong side. Doing nothing is a problem. So, you know, until this kind of behaviour is being properly stamped out by Instagram, by the Premier League and by anyone else who uh, whose voice would be important, I think this will keep on happening. No, it's a real shame. Um, just before we move on to briefly look at the goal, Sam, what are your thoughts? Um, I was just going to say, um, Meta, the company that now owns Instagram, actually came out with this uh, with a statement saying they're working with Anderson. Okay. Um, with it, I think there is a there is a slight more crackdown now. Um, that I think there is, there's been enough of them. We've seen it happen to Wolf a lot. Uh, that he's put it through, uh, put it on his his social media too. Uh, yeah, I think I think the only real way that can do it is the name and shame that they they've been doing. Um, for the minute, hopefully it improves with uh, just better reporting, uh, with the option to report. Or I've noticed there's some, they've started being able to give accounts. Um, you can only message them if they follow you, um, which some some footballs have chosen to do. Not all have. I think that's down to the choice. I think that is a smart thing to bring in. I'm not sure when that was added in. But yeah, I, I think I think it was... Um, I think it's disgusting and I think it should be kicked out, but I'm not sure how it's going to be kicked out. It's one of those that are kind of just like, it's so, it's so, you're, you're never sure if it's going to happen. If, and if it does happen, how, how can you control it? Like, how can you stop someone from going onto a public thing like that and messaging someone? You really can't unless they choose, unless they choose to not allow that you to. Um, and I think, I think it really is just the case that, just, I, I think I think at least it shows an improvement that they're willing to work with the victims of it now. 
And I think that's really all you can do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can only ever regulate so much, but at the point at which it becomes a bit intrusive and heavy handed. So, you know, I think it's one thing to discuss what could happen. It's another thing to find actual solutions. And there is no perfect solution. And unfortunately, you know, as you say, until then, there's going to be an element of having to live with this until, um, you know, things change it more like a like a like a social or a cultural level, you know. Um, but again, three lads on a podcast, one of which is slightly pished, is not going to solve internet abuse overnight, you know. Um, but I think it's great to hear your thoughts on that. And obviously, you know, I'm sure we we all, you know, condemn the, the sort of stuff that was being said and really hope we can move forward in time. So, you know, we, we can only hope and, and pray that we get there. But speaking of hoping and praying, Liverpool were praying for something out of nothing. And that's exactly what they got. Um, Bruno, would you like to talk me through what I have to say was an absolute wonder of a goal from Luis Diaz? Yeah, Diaz has made something practically out of nothing. Um, considering all their earlier pressure and chances, you'd think one of their goals would come through, you know, a ball into the box, maybe a bit of a scramble, a tap-in, but it is just sheer brilliance from Diaz. I think he beats five players, um, and I think it's fatigue. You know, we've been defending in our own box for most of the game and that's gonna lead us to make poor decisions you know he outran he outran us um one thing i want to highlight is shek decore's mistake which led to the goal and i've seen him do this a few times um so far in both arsenal uh, and at montpellier as well is he has this tendency to dive in and attempt to make a slide tackle and get nowhere near the ball um and that left him sort of down on the ground and Diaz got past him and then past Ward and then past Schlupp and it allowed him to take the shot and I don't think Guaita had any chance whatsoever but I feel like if Vieira or whoever the coach would be worked with Takori on his decision making for those tackles specifically we might be left uh, less prone to conceding those sorts of chances but other than that it was a completely unpreventable goal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just to briefly touch on Zakora, I mean, I personally thought he had quite a decent game on the whole. I mean, he created plenty of good chances for Wilf in particular, but, um, you know, that's something we won't really have time to discuss, but I'm sure everyone knows that, you know, he whipped in a stupendous cross that Zaha was inches away from scoring only to hit the post. So, you know, I think there were flashes of brilliance there. And uh, yeah, it is a shame he sort of made the wrong decision in that instance, but definitely something that we can we can keep an eye on and hope gets ironed out going forward. But yeah, it... You know, fair play to Diaz. He he must have skinned at least five of our players off the left. It was something where, you know, nine times out of ten, someone gets that last-ditch tackle in. You know, he slightly takes a missed touch or he doesn't get the right connection and it goes wide. But, you know, unfortunately, the, the deck just was stacked against us uh, this one time and um, everything aligned in a way that was pretty disastrous and, uh, yeah, scored an absolute wonder of a goal, unfortunately, and lit up Banfield. So... I think, again, it would be hard to blame any one person other than Decore. I think, you know, it all starts with him, arguably. But again, it's not to say that the responsibility doesn't fall on several other people to try and do something more there. Um, but nothing we could do. Um, it's a real shame because otherwise I, I, we kept our discipline brilliantly. Um, it was a really spirited team performance that made use of essentially a, an untested uh, tactic that we'd only really tried very, very recently in, in the closing games of last season and in preseason. So... You know, this this new five at the back with Wayne back system is very much in its infancy. Um, I don't know about you, just some closing thoughts, but it actually reminded me a bit of Brentford style. You know, the idea that you have a holding three that are generally quite flexible in the roles that they actually play in that midfield. You know, Eze and Zakore kind of have to track back and get forward. And, you know, you have you have kind of Schlupp in a similar role too, where it's not as um like strictly defined. And then obviously you have two up top sort of being fed. Um, 
so yeah, it was a very interesting and dynamic way to play. We saw loads of debuts and uh, yeah, it was ultimately a great spectacle. And as I'm sure you'd agree, a very hard earned point at a place that is essentially impossible for us to go to. Um, so moving on, I'd like to just f- finally close by uh, getting some thoughts on uh, the transfer window at large. You know, we've obviously discussed our current business to date, but I think it's time we address some of the rumours because as we enter sort of the last few weeks of the window, you know, there's obviously still scope for Palace to do business. Um, it's no secret that we've been looking for a midfielder for some time, but the most recent links that are coming up is Ismaia Saar of Watford and Antoine Semenyo of, of Bristol City. Um, so I'd like to start with you, Bruno, because I think you've done some good research here. What would you like to discuss on on Saar in particular? Well, Saar brings a um, versatility, which Semenyo also offers, but we'll touch on that later, in that he can play across the entire front three. Now, he may be most proficient at right wing, and that's where he's played in the Premier League for Watford the most. But um, he's been played as a left winger, and he's been played as sort of a makeshift striker, not dissimilar to Wilf. Um, and I think... If we were to sign him, the tactical move would be to deploy Saar on the left as sort of this pacey, direct figure, move Wilf uh, to the middle to allow for his shooting ability and power uh, to sort of fester. And then Elise would be a creative force on the right-hand side, and that would sort of balance out across the three with Wilf uh, having the best of both worlds from from the two wingers. But... Semenyo, on the other hand, is a bit less um, raw power, which is what Saar has. Um, And he seems to be a lot more of a creator. You know, he got a lot of assists last season in the championship. Um, And I'm a fan of him, uh, but I'm not fully convinced. And that's mainly because we've only seen him have one one real breakout season in the championship. Uh, And obviously it's impressive to get the stats uh, and the uh, end product that he gets you know, in a Bristol City side that's quite defensive, managed by Nigel Pearson, and finished quite low on the table. But I'd like to see him do it again this season, coming back from the injury that's kept him out the last few months. And then I think he could be uh, a really promising signing for us. But I think if we signed him now, we'd have a really big uh, period of anxiety uh, about how successful he would be. Yeah, a very interesting bit of conversation there to be had about Semenya and whether he can adjust this level. I mean, even going back to Saar, I'm still not fully convinced on Saar's creativity or his raw output, you know, and whether he's the answer. But, you know, there's certainly a place for him in the squad. I mean, what are your thoughts on both players, Sam? I mean, I, I'm a fan of them both. Um, I think they're very different players. Well, they are very different players. Um, but I think they take up very different roles in our team. Semenya is a very... He's very versatile. He plays across the front three. Um, he... He's less. He's he's not exactly gifted as a goal scorer, um, but he's very creative. I think he's. I think with with us playing Alise and Wolf, uh, either side of him, it would almost feel like a slightly f- more fluid but less clinical, uh, version of that Firmino, Mane, Salah front three, uh, with him being definitely more creative and allowing the other two to run off him because I feel like the other two. Wilf has properly transitioned to almost so inside forward now. And I feel like Elise is on his path there. Um, I feel like with Saar, we'd end up probably seeing Wilf playing more centrally, which isn't going to be the 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 best thing I feel in some of the, like the, when we try and play a, like a 4-2-3-1, when we were trying to fit everyone in last season, or the 4-3-3. I feel like um, 
Wolf playing up front in one of those isn't always the best. I feel like he works well when we're playing against a low block. Uh, it's not a low block, uh, a very high press. Um, but it doesn't work so well against a low block because he he's as strong as he is for a winger. Um, he doesn't quite have that physicality of a, just a big forward. Um, Semenyo isn't small. Uh, he's pretty physically strong. He's very young. Um, he's 22, um, and he's in his last year of his contract. So I think we probably could get him for a bit cheaper than Saar, uh, especially with Watford, uh, first of all, being hard negotiators and not necessarily liking doing deals with us anyway. Um, I think I, th I would personally prefer Semenyo as a transfer. I think he allows us for more budget if we are going to still chase that extra centre mid, which I think could be useful. Uh, I really do like Schlupp, but I think I think an upgrade on him may be uh, not maybe, would be pretty beneficial. And I think that right-back spot does probably need sorted if we really do want to have a crack at uh, progressing up the table, like, substantially. I feel like we probably will finish slightly higher this year, but I feel like if we really want that next level of improvement, um, that's a position we're going to need. He got 20 goal, uh, goal contributions in uh, 24 starts last season in the Championship. Uh, eight goals, 12 assists. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, he was robbed a lot of assists. A lot of his um, teammates missed a few pre-guilt-edge chances. Um, and he's what the what the one thing I really like of his is the something that we're missing with both our strikers is he can score out of nothing. He has that very much, um, he has a very much similar kind of shot to Wilf, of, or, or at least the Wilf of old we used to see, of when he used to just rattle one off his um, whatever foot he was kind of leaning back on and it just kind of smashing in the near post. Uh, very similar to that, um, the goal against Brighton in the playoff final. Uh, he does that a lot. I feel like the one thing that both Mateta and Edouard are missing is whilst they're both possibly even better, like natural finishers in the box, uh, they just can't. They what they don't have is that top striker kind of. No matter what half chance you give him, he puts in the back of the net. I feel like that would be something Semenya brings, as well as the uh, slightly better link-up play and passing that he provides. So yeah, in my opinion, I would go for Semenyo over Saar. I like Saar. I think he misses that. He's he's a missing piece that we've... Sorry, he has something that we've been missing for a while. Um, he's he's that raw pace that we used to have in uh, Balassi and um, Young Wolf. But we've been missing since Wolf's obviously changed his game and Balassi's left. And we never really replaced. But would I take him and like make Wolf suffer in that front three? Uh, sorry, in that uh, central role of the front three? No. Um, possibly as a option or a replacement as much as we don't want to admit it, he probably would be a replacement for Wilf in the long term. Um, whether Wilf leaves at the end of the contract uh, is looking likely. Um, I just feel... Time for a European adventure? Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I feel I just feel like Semenya would be tidier business, cheaper, and probably work slightly better, even though it probably have a slightly longer adapting, uh, like adapting time. Uh, but I also think we need trust. Uh, he's, a, he's a championship talent, and this is Dougie Friedman we're talking about. He knows who he wants. He has similar numbers to Alicia, and as I, I don't quite see the pushback I've seen from some people. I think, he, I think he'd be a good signing. Uh, Saar, also a good signing, but possibly too expensive. Yeah, outside our budget, maybe more reluctant to be let go. I mean, Bruno, I'm wary of time, so I I'm, I'm, don't want you to panic, but I'm putting a gun to your head. Don't scream, right? I just want a simple yes or no, or more like Saar or Semenyo. Which one are you going for? I was going to say Saar, but Sam's completely convinced me, so I'm now on the Semenyo train. That's I mean, I was on Semenyo to begin with, only because my take is that Saar is not a bad player, got a lot to offer, I like the pace, 
but he's demonstrably average in terms of output. And I don't know what he offers that um, Elise doesn't or that Wilf doesn't. Pace. Yeah, I mean, other than pace. Yeah. I mean, that's a given. But does he actually offer more creativity, more goals? You know, I'd like to look at the stats more, but ultimately I'm not convinced. Whereas I, I kind of think in this instance, better the devil I don't know than the devil I do, because the devil I do know doesn't do the job that I want us to do, if that makes sense. So I'm very I, I'm very much converted to the Semenya camp, but I think there is absolutely a case for Sar too. Regardless, it looks like we're targeting another forward, so it's definitely one to keep an eye on. And um, I'd just like some closing thoughts, really, to end the pod on. Um, we've seen links with Wan-Bissaka again lately. Uh, this one's coming from John Burt at the Times. Um, not the Times, the Telegraph, I do, I do beg your pardon. Um, very reliable source, but he's claiming that Palace are looking into Wan-Bissaka again. Um, but we're not willing to pay more than £10 million for a permanent deal, which apparently United would be reluctant to accept, although uh, the possibility of a loan is very strong if it, if we do proceed with that. So what do you make of that? Is he the answer? You know, it's a question we've asked ourselves before and uh, something we've, you know, discussed in, in articles before. It's something that is always being talked about. Um, just some closing thoughts on Wan-Bissaka then. You know, can we get him? Do we need him? What does he offer? And how do we play him? Bruno, I'll start with you. I think he wouldn't be uh, as effective in a back five as he would be in a back four. We saw him have a lot of success in a low block of Hodgson. So I think he'd bring us a little more versatility in how we approach games against um, high-press sides and more attacking sides. So at the moment, it seems like against the teams we'd need to sit back against, we drop to a back five, like we saw against Liverpool. But it's possible that with Wan-Bissaka, we could... Um, try a back four as well in a low block and use his slight tackling ability to lock down an especially brilliant left winger. So that's one option with him. Uh, he's obviously solid enough on the ball, a lot more than Klein or Ward would be anyway. You know, he's got really good dribbling stats and decent progressive passing stats. So that's not really a weak point in his game. The only thing I'd be concerned about uh, with him is his sort of defensive awareness and general forward output. But we don't send our right back forward anyway, and I'm not sure if that's a tactical decision for the team or due to the players that we currently have, but he's more than adept uh, enough at crossing, like we saw with his assist to Batshuayi in 18-19 at Burnley or uh, Batshuayi again at Bournemouth at home. So he can still put those crosses in. We know he can do it. So really, I think he could be seriously successful uh, for us should we slightly tweak our tactics to allow for him uh to make the most of his strengths i mean i'll open the floor on this one and sam you know please please feel free to jump in first but um what do you think of the idea of one Bissaka is the right-sided center back because i've seen this idea floated before and i'm quite curious as to your take on that you know whether he you know when he has less responsibility to get forward you know is he good enough to at least play a pass and to marshal someone or to make this last ditch tackle i mean that last bit is a given we know that but you know is there a possibility that he's cut out for center back um, I'm interested to see your thoughts on that. I've just I've just been sent a message from Bruno, which uh, sums up his thoughts quite nicely. But I'll uh, I'll let you uh, I'll let you go first. Uh, personally, I don't see that being a being at all a possibility for him really sitting in there. Maybe maybe for a different team, but for us, that would obviously be with alongside Anderson and Mark. He just isn't good in the air. I feel like he's prone to a defensive fumble, especially if he was sat as a centre-back. I feel like he'd, he'd give away a pass or give like try and dribble himself out and get caught. I just don't think he's partic- he, he's built for a centre-back. He's also not as 
He's he's a he's quite a tall guy, but physically he's nowhere near the levels of, as a of a Premier League centre back. Um, I I feel like I just I just don't feel like he, that is his role. I feel like he his passing isn't good enough. And I feel like his he's too prone to make a defensive fumble just to give that ball away and then invite pressure onto uh, Vinny, who we know isn't the most comfortable with getting quickly out of his goal. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I mean, I'm kind of glad you've you've shut that down. Uh, Bruno, for context, just sent me a fat no, all caps. And uh, again, there's I flirted with the idea, like, could he do it? And then I think you've basically outlined quite nicely why that was a stupid idea to begin with and why I probably shouldn't listen to my own opinions. So on that amazing bombshell, um, we're going to have to wrap it up there. But thank you very much for coming on, both of you, and having a good, good chinwag about all things Palace. We'll be back next week to discuss the Villa game. Um, as always, we are probably going to stay away from match previews. It's not really the thing that we want to focus on here at the Palace Way. But nonetheless, it's something we're very much looking forward to. Um, we're back at home for an amazing spectacle against a team that, frankly, we have struggled with in recent times. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe we stick with a change of tactics and how we proceed from there. But nonetheless, we'll be back to cover things, all things Villa. Um, thank you for tuning in. Please follow us on the socials at Palace Way. And uh, take care, everyone. And we will see you next week. Ciao, ciao.